Last Friday, uh, was pe- people basically went uh, crazy buying up tickets to the largest lottery jackpot in U.S. history. Uh, $640 million was up for grabs. Um, that's a lot of money. In fact, uh, in just the last 48 hours before the lottery uh, bowls were, were drawn, 400 million tickets were sold. Just in the last 48 hours, as people clamored to get a hold of one, hoping that that would bring them um, everlasting happiness. Um, now, just understand how much $640 million is. That's, that's over half a billion dollars. Uh, even uh, You could take it in, in 26 payments of about $24.6 million, or you could take the lump sum of $462 million. Even after taxes, you'd be left with $346.5 million. Now, say you went crazy and you spent $46.5 million of that like in two days, you'd still have $300 million. And if, if for the next 60 years you spent $15,000 a day, so if you were 20 years old and you spent $15,000 a day till you were 80 years old, you'd still have $18 million in the bank. That's a lot of money. And the question is, how would you respond? I know a lot of people were trying to answer that question, what they would do with the money. In fact, MSNBC.com ran an article about their suggestions for what you ought to do, and they highlighted a ranch in Northern California, 26,000 acres, 7,000 square foot home, cattle and ponds and creeks, and you could buy a jet to go with that and go back and forth to wherever else you want to go or buy. Uh, the list went on and on in their suggestions. They did tell you, though, that you, you should do a few things, and I think we would all respond. According to the lottery rules, you have 180 days to claim the prize. I don't think any of us would have waited 180 days to go into the office. But what you do is you go into the office and you'd, you'd sign the back of that ticket for sure the moment that you knew it was a winning ticket. And you'd go in and they would sit you down and uh, you, you would want to put a legal team together and a financial team together. You'd want to set up a trust and you'd want to establish bank accounts and investment accounts and you'd want to pay off all your debts and you'd want to save for retirement, give your kids some money for college if they hadn't gone yet. You'd want to do all these things. You would respond. And you wouldn't wait to respond. Your life would change and it would be different. Uh, it would be changed forever. And as we've been studying in Romans 8, we, you and I, brothers and sisters, have received something way more valuable, way more precious than $640 million. We have received and we have found the greatest treasure in God himself and in his love and we are the recipients of that love lottery statistics say that in five years all the money you win is gone people spend it all but we have christ's love forever forever and nothing as we've seen in romans 8 can separate us from that love it cannot be exhausted And the question for us is, how should we respond? We have received this love. How are we going to respond to that? What are we going to do with it? This is is love that is so great that it's inexhaustible. We cannot spend it all. It will always be with us, and and it it is for us. What are we going to do with it? How can we respond to so great a love? Jesus is passionately interested in, in answering that question for us here in John 15. He has the answer because he has been the recipient of that love through his Father. And everything that Jesus is calling us to do, he says, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I'm writing to you and speaking to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. 
This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Jesus is saying, I've tasted this love. I am the recipient of this love. Let me be your advisor. Let me be your legal team. Let me help you set up and respond to this love in such a way that you will take full advantage of it and it will accomplish its work in you and through you for your good and my glory forever. That's what Jesus wants us to see this morning. And in our passage, in in these four verses, 9 through 12, Jesus is going to show us five ways that he wants you and I to respond to his love, the love that he has poured out on us. It is being poured out. It has been poured out on us. And we have been lavished with the love that could never be bought with $640 million. And that makes $640 million look like a pile of paper. Jesus here is speaking to his disciples. The context is the farewell discourse And John is the one who's writing the disciple whom Jesus loved. And he takes these five chapters to just slow down time to the last night before Jesus would go and show us his love and go on that cross and display his love for the entire world to see. And John is showing us here how we can know what to do with this love. And Jesus himself, as the one who's experienced that love, is going to show us how we ought to live in light of his love. And let's look at the, the first way that Jesus wants us to respond, and that's know how greatly you are loved. And you have to believe and know with certainty and conviction just how much you are loved. Jesus wants you to be convinced and amazed at his love for you. And we see this in verse 9 in the first part of it. He says, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, we're going to be talking a lot about love. In fact, in these five chapters, the word love, the verb and the noun appear 31 times. Just in our verses alone, seven times. So it might be helpful to have a working definition of what love is. And I know there's a lot of them out there. One that's been helpful to me is that love is strong, intimate thoughts and feelings that drive intense and good and beneficial action. It's both feeling and thought and actions. There's people who say love is not a feeling, it's just action. And some people say love is just a feeling and has no action. But people who are on one side of the camp or the other are wrong. It's both. God has had very intimate, intense thoughts towards us and feelings towards us, and that has driven very intense, loving, beneficial actions for us and toward us. And Jesus wants you to know how greatly you have been loved. God has loved you, according to Jesus here in verse 9, like he has loved himself. And that is mind-blowing. That is not blasphemous. That is the truth. That as God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit has loved himself for all of eternity, he has loved you with that same love. Here's God the Godhead, the triune God of the universe who has forever been inside of this relationship of love, giving and receiving love for all of eternity. Love that is so intense, so amazing, so powerful. that We don't even understand it. And Jesus is saying, the way that I have been loved by my Father, that he has loved me, I have loved you. Jesus and the Father and the, and the Spirit have invited us into that triune divine love. It is an awesome love. It is so great that it is the greatest love. You and I have been loved. We've been loved by parents. We've been loved 
by our children, for those of us who have them, by a spouse, by other people, friends, family. But you and I have never and will never ever taste a love like this. Jesus is saying, know how greatly you have been loved. And you have been loved with a love from all of eternity. The Lord tells Jeremiah in, in Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5, he says, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. I foreknew you. And that idea of foreknowledge is relationship, it's intimacy, and it is love. Jesus says, Before you even existed, I already had intense thoughts and feelings towards you. I was already loving you from all of eternity before you even were existed and were born. That's the love that Jesus says we have received, that you and I have have been given. And it's a love that is also unconditional. Jesus knew, he looked ahead, and he knew that you were his enemy, that you would sin against him, that you would rebel against him, that you would run from him, that you would blaspheme his name, that you would live a life opposed to him. In spite of all that you've done and, and will do, Jesus says, I will set my love on you. I will set my love on you, and no one will ever change that. Nothing will ever take that away. And it's a love also that is purposeful. It's, it's in Romans that we've seen the forness of God, that he is for you, that he is for me, that he, that, that is, is bound up in his love, just how much he's for us. And he is for, he's more for us than we even are for ourselves. And that love is a love that is purposeful where he will accomplish all that is good for us and all that brings him glory. This is the love that we have received. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me with that same intensity and quality of love, I have loved you. Know this. Believe this. We've got to get to the place like the Apostle John where later in his epistle he says, so we have come to know it and to believe the love that God has for us. We have to be sure of this. Jesus says, the first way I want you to respond to my love is believe it, know it, understand how greatly you have been loved. Jesus knows that we're going to doubt this love at times, that because of our performance or lack thereof, because of our failures, that we're going to doubt whether we still are loved in this way. And Satan stands ready to, to accuse and condemn us before the Father every single day longing to do that, longing to separate us from this love, Jesus says, know that you are loved. Know that this is true for you. You may believe it's true for other people, but do you believe it's true for you, that you have been loved the way that God has loved himself? This is the first way that Jesus wants us to respond to his love. Know it, believe it. You have been greatly, greatly loved. There's a second way that Jesus wants us to respond to his love. That's to abide in his love. Jesus wants us to abide in him and to abide in his love. Jesus wants us to understand that apart from him, we wither and die. But abiding in him and his love, we are transformed. This word abiding is is a theme in John chapter 15. Look back in verse 4 and 5. Jesus says, abide in me. And I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says, apart from me, you are nothing. You can do nothing. You will never 
be anything spiritually significant. You will be loveless, fruitless, powerless. And so Jesus is inviting you to never, ever again live outside or independent from him or his love. And Jesus is saying, I want you to be in continual, intimate relationship with me where you are abiding in me, you are tethered to me, you're connected to me. And that's what this word abide means. It it means to live inside of, to persist in, to remain in, to continue in, to exist in, to locate yourself inside of. And this is nothing other than picturing what is already the reality for those of us who are in Christ, our union with him. He is in us, we are in him, and that cannot be undone. Jesus says, live out that reality. Abide in me daily. It's a moment by moment, year after year, lifelong, intimate relationship with him. And Jesus is calling us to abide because often we don't. We don't abide in him. And he knows that. And I think it's because to abide in Christ, you must posture yourself in a certain way. You must come in a, in a posture of dependence. You must come in a posture of trust. And you must come in a posture of submission to his love. You see, we think that we can thrive in the soil of independence. That here's Christ the vine and we're a branch and we can just be planted in our own soil. And often we're, we're doing that. We're, we're, we're seeking to be apart from Christ, to live apart from him. We don't confess our neediness, our desperate dependence upon Jesus Christ. We don't realize how much we need him and that apart from him, we die. Jesus says that you live apart from me, you will wither up and die. There is no life outside of Christ or his love. And so we need to come dependent on him, knowing how much we need him. We need to also come trusting him. We need to come trusting that Christ's love is the greatest love. That it's greater than the love we think we have for ourselves. We think we know what's best for ourselves. We think we know how to love ourselves best. But Jesus is clear that you do not know how to do that. I am more for you, Jesus says, than you are for yourself. And my love is greater and can do greater things in you than you could ever do for yourself. We have to trust that. It's like a man who believes that, that he could be happier with another woman outside of his marriage. That man will never experience the intimacy in his marriage that he ought to. We have to believe that Jesus' love is the greatest and that being tethered to him, being connected to him, abiding in him is the best place to be. There's no other place to be than that place. We have to trust his love and come in a spirit of trust. We also need to come submitted. It's we, we, the, the reality is we want Jesus' love, but we don't want to submit to that love because we know that there is a, there is a dying that takes place when we're not connected to Christ. That's the withering, the dying that leads to death. But there's also a death that comes when you abide in Christ's love. When Christ's love begins to flow through him and into you, from the vine to the branch, it demands that you die and it will take you places that you will not want to go in order to produce in you things that only it can produce. Jesus says there will be a kind of dying. You have to submit to that. Let your heart be melted and reformed and transformed by Christ's love. And so if you're going to abide in Christ, you need to come in that posture. And Jesus says, if you abide in me and my love, if you abide in my love, you will be transformed. As my love flows through me and into you, it will change you. It will change you. And in abiding in Christ, we're letting Christ love us. We're living in the good of that love. We're allowing that love to have its perfect work in us. It's inside of his love that there is life-producing, fruit-bearing power. 
And that's what Jesus wants us to have and to experience. We, we need to get to the place like the Apostle John also. Notice what he says. He says, we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. And God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this, by knowing and believing the love of God and by abiding in it, is love perfected with us or among us. You see what John says? He he goes on to conclude it. We love because he first loved us. It's as we let Christ love us, as we abide in his love, that we begin to see love produced inside of us, that we begin to love God and love other people. Apart from Christ, you wither and die. Abiding in Christ and his love, you are transformed. Jesus wants you to experience that. He abided in his Father's love and he allowed that love to do its perfect work in him. Jesus invites you into that same experience. He says, abide in my love. Stay there. Never be disconnected. Never live disconnected again from me. Well, there's a third way that Jesus wants us to respond to his love, and that's he wants us to let his love motivate us to live for him. Jesus wants you to let the love of Christ motivate you to live a life that is lived for him. And we find this in verse 10. Notice what it says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. I know this verse at first glance might scare people. It might go, oh my goodness, I have to do something or something has to happen here or else I'm going to lose God's love, Christ's love. And that's not what it's saying. Let's be clear about what this passage is not, this verse is not saying. It's not saying if we don't obey perfectly or in those moments where we're not obeying that Christ won't love us. That's not what it's saying. Jesus already said, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. He's speaking to those who are in him and in whom he is and dwells. Nothing will ever separate us from that love. Neither is he saying that the way to earn Christ's love is through obedience, as if we could merit that through, through a life of obedience to him. No, Jesus is saying something different. I think there's two thoughts that I want to bring out in verse 10 that Jesus, I think, is wanting us to see and understand. Number one, Jesus wants his, a love for him and his love for us to be the motivation for a life of obedience. Jesus wants you to know his love and believe it. He wants you to be abiding in it so that it is producing within you a love for him. And he wants that love and your understanding and confidence in his love for you to motivate obedience. Jesus doesn't want your obedience out of duty. He doesn't want your obedience out of fear. He doesn't want your obedience out of tradition. He wants a gospel-motivated obedience that comes from a love for him and from a love from him in you. We've got to get to the place where Paul where Paul was when he said, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ surrounds us. The love of Christ compels us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Paul was real clear. It was, it was only one thing that could create in him a life that desired and longed for and actually lived for Christ and no longer lived for himself, and that was the love of Christ. Both the love from Christ and the love for Christ Jesus wants a love for him and his love to be the motivation for why and how we obey. It's only that kind of love and by abiding in Christ that we even will obey. No other motivator will produce long-lasting obedience. 
You may obey for a season, but you will fall away. But Christ's love working in you, producing love inside of you for him will be the thing that produces a life lived for him. Jesus wants us to get to the place where we not only say, apart from you, Lord, can I do nothing, but Lord, apart from you, I don't want to do anything. I never want to live apart from you and what you want and what you've called me to, no matter what and where and how it takes me. John 14, 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. The one who loves me will obey me. He'll want to obey me. That only comes through my love abiding in him, flowing into him, producing this love in him. There's another thing Jesus wants us to see in this passage, and that is that his commandments are an expression of his love. He says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. God's commandments are given to us so that we will experience all of his goodness and all of his love. And Jesus says, see my commandments as an expression of my love. See my commandments as something given to you because I love you and because I want you to come into the experience of my love through them. Jesus is saying as we obey, we will experience his love in, those, in the things that he calls us to, in the things that he puts, sets before us to do, in the, in the way that he calls us to live. And the things that he prohibits us from is him loving us and keeping other things that are, are destructive and deadly for us away from us. Jesus is loving us both in his commands and his prohibitions. Jesus says, see my heart in my commandments. See my love in my commands. Like a parent who longs for their kids to, to press on in music lessons or establishes a good bedtime or makes them eat healthy food. It's this parent that's for the child, that wants the best for them, that is, is looking after them and saying, inside of these commands, inside of what I'm calling you to do is my love. I'm expressing my love towards you and how I'm calling you to live. We need to see Jesus' commands the very same way. There's a cycle that, that takes place in this love as we both are motivated out of love to obey and as we obey and experience God's love inside of that obedience, inside of a life lived for Him, there's a cycle that takes place. As we abide in His love, that produces love for us, uh, for Him and us, and which creates then a desire to live for Him, which then continues this, this further experience of His love. And it's like a spiral. And every time we're just ascending the spiral of love, and experiencing it in a deeper and deeper way. One commentator said, it precedes our love. God's love precedes our love. It accompanies our love. It follows our love. And in the very process of doing this, creates more love toward him in our hearts. So that as it were, another love cycle begins. This one even better than the first. So we ascend. Jesus says, I did this. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my father's commandments and abide in his love. I have tasted and seen how good this is. And this is what my will is and desire is for you. That you would live a life for me. Motivated by my, my love for you. And your love for me. And, and lived out in the experience of my love for you. Well, there's a fourth way that Jesus wants us to experience his love. And that's find your greatest joy in Christ's love. Find your greatest joy in Christ's love. We find this in verse 11. He says, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What is he talking about? These things that I've spoken to you. Jesus is saying, among other things, certainly that you, that you know and believe my love, that you abide in it and that you walk in it, motivated by it, to live a life for me. He says, these things I've told you, these things I'm telling you, 
so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus knows that we all long for joy and happiness and gladness. We seek it in life. We saw that on Friday as people clamored to find a little piece of happiness with a dollar that might be turned into a lifetime of, of joy. It was funny, they interviewed personal finance expert Susie Orman on MSNBC, and she said, Mon- she said this, money alone will never, ever, ever make you happy. She's a woman who's a millionaire herself. And she realizes that there, there is no joy in this life apart from what Christ is offering. And there's no joy that can compete with what Christ is offering here. Jesus says, if you know my love, if you abide in my love, if you live a life motivated by my love, and out of love for me, to live for me, this will result in joy. You will be filled up with joy. You will experience the joy that I had as I did that. I did that. I lived my life for the Father. I lived my life in love with Him and receiving and knowing and living in the good of His love and it has resulted in joy. I want you to have this same joy. And notice what he says, that your joy may be made full or complete. This is a joy that transcends any other joy that we could ever, ever experience. The psalmist in Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me, O Lord, the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Whoever says the Christian life, whoever says loving Christ, abiding in him, knowing that love, and living it out in obedience is a life of duty, drudgery, boredom, does not understand what Jesus is saying here. They don't, they've never lived it. Jesus is saying, in my presence, in my love, is fullness of joy. And a life lived inside of me and abiding in my love, in that kind of life, in the, living that life, there is pleasure forever, ever. It's a joy that transcends any other joy and it's a joy that transcends any circumstances so that we can have it no matter what we're going through. There's joy that comes with circumstances. There's joy with, that comes with good health or this or that, but it can be taken away. Jesus is saying this is a joy that transcends circumstances because no one can ever take this joy away from you because it's rooted in my love and no one can separate you from that love. So no matter what you're going through, you can experience this kind of joy. As you know and believe his love, as you abide in it, as you are motivated by it to live for him, This is what you will experience, joy, Christ's joy, joy that is full to the fullest. This is what Jesus wants for us. This is what Jesus is calling us to. There's a final way that Jesus wants us to respond to his love. That is that Jesus wants us to love others the way that we have been loved. Jesus is calling you to love others like Christ has loved you. You see, Christ never intended for his love to end inside of you. He, didn't, he doesn't have you connect to him and abide in him so that love will flow from him into you, from of the vine into the branch, and just stop there. Jesus wants you to know his love, to abide in his love, to experience it through obedience and to find your greatest joy inside of it so that you will now then be an agent of that love in the lives of other people. That's what Jesus is ultimately calling all of us to. Notice what verse 12 says. It says, This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment that you love one another 
as I have loved you. And in, in, in summing up this commandment, Jesus is summing up the law of Christ. He's summing up everything in this. Love other people. You're loving me and you're experiencing my love as you love other people. The whole law could be summed up in that. And if we're doing that, we are loving God. We are loving Him. And notice what we, what we, what we understood earlier about His commandments, that they're an expression of His love. This is God loving you by calling you into this kind of life. If you live a life of selfishness and you, don't, you never sacrifice yourself for anyone else, if you love conditionally and you're uncommitted in your love and you just give it and take it back, you'll never experience Christ's love. Christ is inviting you into this kind of love so that you'll taste His love, that you'll be inside of His love and go deeper in your understanding and experience of the love of Christ. And notice it's a two-way command. He says, love one another. Be loving one another. As you relate to your sister or brother in the body of Christ, love that person and allow that person to love you. And that's the way that we experience Christ's love. Not only in our experience of, of, of walking in that command, of living for Him, do we experience God's love for us, but we get to be loved by that other person. And Christ works through that other person to love us. Now the only way to do this is to abide in Christ. 1 John 4, 12 says, If we love one another, God abides in us and His love is being perfected in us. The minute we stop abiding is the minute we stop loving. You have no love to give in and of your own power, in and of your own self. You cannot love this way unless you are abiding in Christ, confident of His love for you and motivated by that love to love other people. You, you have to be abiding in order to do this. This is impossible apart from Christ, but tethered to Christ, abiding in Christ, united to Christ, allowing his love to flow in you and through you, this love is possible. We need God's love to be flowing in us. We need to be abiding in his love and sure of his love in order to love this way because notice what Jesus is calling us to do. He's saying, love one another as I have loved you. He's saying, God, the eternal Godhead has been in this kind of love, experiencing this kind of love for all of eternity. And this is the love that the Father has loved me with, the love that God has had for himself. This is the love that I loved you with, and this is the love that now I'm calling you to love other people with. It's no, it's no less love. Jesus is saying the same love that God has had for himself and that he has given to you, you are now to be an agent of in passing that on to others. That's why we need Christ in us to be able to do this. To be an agent of this great love. And this is challenging because it's one thing to love God and to abide in His love. He's very lovable. But sinful, wicked people, even our brothers and sisters here, often are very unlovable. Jesus is saying, no, I want you to learn and to understand and to grow in your ability to love as I have loved you. I loved you while you were yet a sinner. I loved you when you were disgusting. I loved you when you were rebelling against me, when you were living your life in, in opposition to me. I loved you then, and I want you now to go love less than perfect, unlovable people and enter into that experience. How did Jesus love us? I just want to point out four ways that he did love us so that we can wrap our minds around the love that he's calling us to have for one another. Number one, Jesus was selfless in his love. And selfless love puts self last and seeks first and foremost the good of the other person. Jesus, in his love for us, was selfless. 
He emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. He put his interests below our own. He put our interests above his own. And he loved us selflessly. And Jesus says, when you look at your brother, when you look at your sister, you need to love them selflessly with selfless love that puts their interests way above your own. Jesus loved sacrificially and he's calling us to sacrifice, to love with sacrificial love, love that will give anything and everything, even life itself for the sake of other people. Jesus says, I gave you everything. Even up to this point, Jesus has loved them. I love what John 13 says. He says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Jesus has already been loving the disciples and just the very next day, in just a matter of hours, Jesus is going to love them in the ultimate way by giving himself for them. Jesus is calling you to do no less. He's saying you need to give anything and everything, even if it means your very own life and existence for the, for the sake of the other person. Jesus has loved us unconditionally. An unconditional love loves others no matter what, no matter how many times they've sinned against us, no matter what they've done to us. And I'm not trying to minimize that. I know we can be sinned against grievously. But Jesus was. We crucified him. And he says, I will love you no matter what you do to me. I will never stop loving you that way. And so we are to love others no matter what they have committed against us, no matter what they've done, no matter what they might do even when they are so unlovable. And lastly, Jesus loved us with a committed love. Jesus loved us with a committed love. Committed love is love that never ceases. It perseveres all the way to the end. And Jesus loved us that way. He never withdrew his love. He never said, you know what, you've reached a point where you've hit my threshold. I can no longer love you. I'm going to pull it back now. Jesus says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. Committed love never ceases. And when you look at your brothers and sisters, you're to love them until either you die or they die. You're you're to love them to the end and persevere in that love. Jesus says, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. The way that you have been loved, the love that you have received from Christ, Jesus is saying, take that love and and in, in intimate relationships with your brothers and sisters, love them with that same love, with nothing less, and abide in me so that that can be a reality. Jesus knows that this has a powerful effect on us, that it's through this that we become like him, that we get to taste what it, what it feels like to love the way that he did. And in doing this, Jesus is loving us. He's saying, I, want, I love you so much, I want you to enter into this experience. I want you to die. I want you to become like me in loving people. This is what Jesus is calling us to. Brothers and sisters, this is, this is a love that is impossible apart from Christ. But this is the, this is, we've, we've received this kind of love. We have won more than $640 million. We have received the greatest treasure, the love of Christ. It is ours. It has been deposited into our account. And Jesus says, I want you to take this love and do what I'm calling you to do with it. I just didn't give it to you for it to sit there, for you to just stare at it. I want you to take it and live in the good of it and let it do, let it do its work in you and through you. Take full advantage of my love. 